0: episode two of queer Trek a tricorder transmissions LGBTQ community podcast My name is Heather and I am joined by my wonderful co-host Marty Hi Marty how are you doing tonight?
1: Hi Heather I'm doing well thank you It's great to be back for another episode of Queer Trek um, since since episode one has launched we've had nothing but but great amazing incredible feedback um, so I'm really excited to be recording another episode How are you doing?
0: I yeah you know following up with that the feedback that we got made my heart super happy yeah Um, and it just it felt really good to get so much positive feedback that that's our goal is to to make people happy Um, so keep it coming constructive criticism too we're open to everything. Um, And remember, this is your show. So on the heels of that quickly, um, before we introduce our guest, I just want to go over what this show is. Uh, Queer Trek is an LGBTQ community-empowered Star Trek podcast where topics come from listeners. So that's you and your suggestions. Each show, Marty and I will be joined by guests from the LGBTQ community who will share their stories while discussing the subjects they choose within the scope of Star Trek's 52 year history. We'll have discussions ranging from personal stories, episode examinations, characters, and themes in Star Trek, all from a queer perspective. If you would like to submit a topic idea or you'd like to be a guest on Queer Trek, you can reach us by email at queertrek at com. On Twitter, we're at queertrekpod, or you can use the submission form on our website at queertrek.thetricordertransmissions.com. We've gotten quite a few suggestions for topics and guests down the road, so keep them coming. Again, this, is, this podcast is all about you. We, we host it, but it's yours. Um, so we look forward to hearing from you. Uh, super quick, Marty, do you want to tell people about Patreon?
1: Absolutely. Um, if you are enjoying this show or any of the other shows on the Tricorder Transmissions Network, we encourage you to uh, go visit our uh, Patreon page at patreon.com slash the Tricorder Transmissions. Um, this is a way that you can help support the show and the network for as little as $1 a month. You can gain exclusive uh, access to unedited episodes, early release episodes, um, exclusive interviews, and even patron-only chats that we do about once every other month or so. Um, The last one we did recently was a lot of fun. Um, So, yeah, join join our Patreon at patreon.com slash the Tricorder Transmissions.
0: I missed our last patron hangout, and I'm super bummed about it. I always still like feel so envious. Like after I listen, y'all are like tweeting at each other. Yeah, it's such a great time. And I'm sitting here like, but I had to do this. I had uh, to go here. You'll get it's, to one of them. You'll get to. I, I, yeah, I've only made one so far. Uh, but yeah. So speaking of of patrons, one of our patrons, our first Queer Trek specific patron, is joining us tonight. Felicity, welcome to Queer Trek. We're so glad to have you here. Hi. Yay! So I'm just going to be super frank about why you're here. Um, We're in in a group together on the social media somewhere, and you made some comments about a couple Star Trek episodes in which the, the subject of sex and gender pop up. And when I see something like that, that says to me, we need to amplify your voice. Um, it's, it's one thing to be in a group and say, you know, make a few comments. And they were positive, good comments. It's something else to be able to give you a platform to talk about those things. Um, so do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself, I guess, to start off with? Um, and we can kind of go into the comments that you made and go with the discussion from there. Sure. Um, I am
2: a 30-year-old trans woman. I have only been transitioning for a couple years now. Actually, I'll be at my two-year mark at the end of this month, October 2018. So, um, by some people's standards, I'm still uh, baby trans. Um <laughs> But um, is that a real term baby trans that is a real term it okay. is more coined by trans women than trans men who okay. frequently try to avoid infantilization yeah. whereas trans women try tend to swing the opposite direction as a rebellion against their socialization as hyper masculine um so it's it creates this sort of dichotomy it's it's very um. It's hard uh, for, for some people. Like um, mm-hmm. I, I don't usually get in for the infantilization. Some people um, are super about that life though. Um, and that's fine for them. Um, there's nothing wrong with that. Sorry to, I got derailed here a little no, bit. No,
0: no, um, you're fine.
2: <laughs> and then uh, something else about me. I, I do love Star Trek. My father introduced me to Star Trek when I was little. Um and um I got off of it for a long time, then I got back onto it, then I got off of it, then I got onto it, and uh now I just it's my favorite show. i love watching Discovery. Tilly is my favorite character. Uh I can go on and on about Janeway and theories <laughs> that she is a trans woman and oh, wow. all kinds of things. Um, mostly derived from a couple like small lines that I cherry picked because that's how how we do um
0: (laughs) yeah (laughs) and that's you know that's cool that's again that's one of the reasons why we're doing this show is that you know not everyone sees everyone else's perspective um and so it's it's all about queer perspectives and what we each take from star trek how we interpret it how we internalize it how it becomes important to us um that it's i i I'd say it like uh, our friend Jim over at Trek Ranks. There are no wrong answers. Like Mm -hmm. there's there's no wrong answers in how we live our lives. Um, This podcast and this community is about acceptance uh, and so we may have to have you back to talk about Janeway uh, and, and those, those quotes that you pull out more specifically. Um,
2: I love so, it. Absolutely.
0: Yeah. I, or, or maybe it will come up tonight. I don't know. Um, so the comments that you made in the, in the group that we're in, like, I, I don't want to, I'm I'm not bringing you on just to retaliate what was done in another group or anything like that. Right. It's just that as you know, as we know, not everyone, understand certain subjects from from all perspectives, especially in the queer community. Right. And so some of the topics that, that came up there was a, a general perhaps misunderstanding of what sex is, what gender is, and then how sex and gender uh, pertain to the trans community and how misinterpretations of them can really harm trans identity. So do you want to talk a little bit about... I think some of the, some of the episodes in, in, in which they've come up have been the outcast and co um, especially with the subjects of, of third genders and everything else. So do you want to talk a little bit, um, of, about why it's so important, maybe, you know, what, how you interpret sex, how you interpret gender and go from there?
2: Okay. Um, so sex and gender are, um, typically used, uh, Colloquially, they're used interchangeably um, to describe the way in uh, one of the ways in which people uh, interact with the world through their identity. Um, oftentimes, this is linked to sexual activity as well because it is the most common means for heterosexual reproduction. Uh, and even homosexual reproduction is often identified using sex as the foundation for this. Gender is a lot larger and more complex of a topic. I couldn't hope to go into the whole thing here. Um, uh, and and I can only give you uh, my brief understanding of it um, from what I, I studied um, in school uh, as a gender and identities major and also as my own personal experience as a trans woman. Um, gender is usually, easily it's masculine and feminine. Uh, however, there's, it's, it's absolutely this gradient where you'll have women that present masculine, but identify as female and men who present feminine and identify as male um, and everything in between. And all of these are okay and good. And that is frequently what's confusing to people is that there's this question of, okay, so I want to accept you, but what do I call you? Um, and Riker struggles with this per, uh, personal pronoun question as well, yeah. much the way that uh, cishet people have done in, in the 90s. He asks, you know, should I call you it? Yeah. Uh, because that's rude in my culture. So he at least acknowledges that it is rude in our in human culture to call people it because that objectifies them. Um, with someone's pronouns, it's remarkably easy, um, people have found, to just ask And it's Mm -hmm. usually polite. Most people will not get offended. That's probably the biggest Mm -hmm. and most important thing. Um, And if you are a trans person, I I do encourage you not to be offended if somebody asks you what your pronouns are. This also ties into this whole huge notion of um, something called passing. Trans people often feel a need to pass as one gender Mm -hmm. or another. And this is something that is a pressure that comes upon us uh, from uh, a cisgendered society uh, especially that wants to easily categorize us. And it's a uh, particularly harmful uh, that that sort of heteronorm- heteronormativity. I can speak, <laughs> um, uh, is damaging to both trans people and cis people in uh, situations where uh, a cis person may not appear in a gender-conforming way uh, there are certainly women that identify as women that were assigned uh, female gender at birth that uh, they keep their hair short, they wear jeans, um, but they've been assaulted in women's restrooms. Mm-hmm. They've been denied access to the bus using their bus pass in certain places. I believe I read about it, it was Boston and the same kind of thing happens to trans people as well. And so one of the things that I like to point out is that that, that pressure to uh, pass as masculine or feminine to, to adhere to these gender norms is harmful to everybody. It is especially harmful to trans people, but it is harmful to everybody. That's a kind of a nutshell argument, I think. <laughs> Very nutshell.
0: It's awesome. And we can expand upon it um, should we desire to. So I have, let's see, I delved into the interwebs to find some good resources for people. Um, And there is a website called genderspectrum.org and it's all about um, understanding gender and and connecting people and everything else. So they've got uh, a a really great website. I don't want to break down the entire page here, um, but they they basically explain that, you know, people tend to use the term sex and gender interchangeably, as you just said, and that when there's a baby, it's either male or female, although we also do have intersex people. So even in that sex itself is not a binary thing. In, in some cases, intersex people do tend to choose Male or female, they may or may not have surgery to do so. But just alone in nature, sex is not binary. Biological sex is not always a binary thing, and I think that it's important to remind people about that. Absolutely,
2: um, shout out to all those awesome non-binary folks <laughs> out there. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Absolutely. Um, so then we have the subject of gender, and and again. We, we tend to want to define gender as male or female and as a social construct. Like it's something that we learn over time, um, like a nature versus nurture type of thing. Mm-hmm. And I don't necessarily agree with that either. Um, but the gender spectrum website defines dimensions of gender and they talk about body and our experience in our own body, how society genders bodies our identity, which is our internal sense of self, whether we feel that we're male, female, both, neither, you know, whatever. And that's something that I think is so important to help the world understand is that we don't have to fit into a definition of male or female. It's a spectrum. It's a kaleidoscope, like I said in our first episode. And so I I hope that over time, in the future, we don't see it in Star Trek's future, uh, but in our own future that we make that that we will see a broader spectrum of acceptance um, of identity. And then the last dimension of gender the gender spectrum describes is expression. And that's just how we express ourselves and our gender to the world, um, how our family perceives it, how others interact with us and, and such. Um, and I, again, I'm not going to read the whole website here, but it gives a pretty good explanation and breakdown of those three dimensions and then talks about how gender is also different from sexual orientation and that our sexual orientation is not the same thing as gender. And that's something else that gets confused a lot. Um, So I didn't know if either of you two had any um, comments or wanted to expand upon any of that. Really briefly,
2: I just want to say that none of that like anything that you just said was radical as a concept.
0: Yeah. None of it is. No, it, not at all.
2: Yeah. Be treated like it.
0: Yeah. And I, it always fascinates me when people who sadly don't, not that they even don't know people in the LGBTQ plus community, um, but they, they, they can't grasp or, or under like even have a basic understanding um, it's, it's difficult for me to understand that they don't understand if that makes sense because it's to, to me, it's just like, yes, it all makes sense. I don't know. I'm now I'm blabbering about stuff. Um, I think
2: that makes a certain amount of sense and there's, there's certainly a lot of frustration and I, and I would wonder, um, cause I've only identified as queer for as long as I've identified as, as a trans woman, mm-hmm. um, which is pretty late in my life, but I, I wouldn't wonder that that's, that's an experience that's common among many, um, yeah. if not all queer people. Yeah. I mean, I haven't gotten Marty a chance to speak at all. <laughs> <laughs> that's okay. I mean,
1: the only thing that I have to say about it regarding this, the website and all that stuff is like, this is, this is all stuff that I've learned over time. Like I didn't, you know, when I came out, I had, like transgender was not even on my radar at the time. Mm-hmm. Like, and I was a part of the community then. So it's only been recently that I've that I've started to to really uh, learn about it and understand it. I wanted yeah. to know more about what what they go through because I, I personally
2: don't understand that, but I want I want to understand. I think a lot of uh, a lot of the trouble, um, statistically, typically, uh, is shown to come from uh, this, this, uh, this concept of passing. Mm-hmm. Um, to, to give a more clear definition, passing is um, when you fit into the standards of looking as uh, one would define in your culture as a man or one would define in your culture as a woman, Um, To achieve this, various things are done by trans people. Trans men wear binders. Uh, Mm -hmm. They have um, special uh, stuff that they wear or surgeries they can get uh, for bottom surgery. Likewise, trans women will tuck. They will get surgery as well. They uh, both tend to take hormones. One of the frustrating things about testosterone is that it is much more potent mm-hmm. than estrogen as mm-hmm. far as the physical effects. Yeah. So a lot of trans men will take testosterone for a week and report that their is dropped and they're getting little wispy whiskers. And trans women will take estrogen for a week and report that they're a little bit weepier. And <laughs> that's about <laughs> it. <laughs> uh, uh. So, you know, life is hard, but yeah. um yeah. but but ultimately um the biggest uh the biggest thing if you're questioning and you're not sure um is you can usually try usually um a lot of informed consent clinics will allow people to test hormones for uh a week a month or so and uh, that lets you see how your body reacts to it, how you experience, how your experience changes, and for trans men and trans women, they tend to be calmer, they tend to be happier, they tend to be more relaxed. Uh, these are all things that uh, will typically happen on uh, or for the hormones that align to a gender they identify with. Now, this covers if you are a trans woman or if you're a trans man. Uh, non-binary people may need specific medication depending on how they feel in their body. If their uh-huh. body naturally produces estrogen and they're fine with that, then they'll just keep producing estrogen and they're not going to take anything else. They might dr- You don't have to dress or appear a certain way to be non-binary. Same thing if your body produces testosterone naturally and uh, you you identify as non-binary, Um, you don't need to, um, take estrogen hormones in order to grow, uh, breasts in order to be non-binary. You Mm. are non-binary regardless of what your physical body is, because Mm -hmm. that's an expression of your gender identity. Um, and, and that, that. Uh, NBs in that, uh, NB being short for non-binary, have that the most difficult in regards to people making pat judgments about them uh, mm-hmm. when they when they see them. They're the ones most often to get misgendered, to get served or mammed at the grocery store, and that has varying degrees of effect on them. Um, some people aren't, they don't mind that much. Some people, it's a big deal.
0: Yeah. Um, I do just want to pull up, so... And you can give me your insight on, on how you feel about, I'm sure Felicity, you've seen the, I don't know if I can put it up the little, the, the umbrella graphic with the. Yes. Yes. Okay. An excellent. Um, and we'll, we'll put okay. this in show notes so that everyone um, can see it, but basically, uh, you know, imagine a beautiful rainbow umbrella <laughs> that says transgender. So, so transgender at this point Um, Because I think that a lot of um, cis people don't realize that transgender itself is not just a binary phrase. It doesn't just mean trans woman or trans man. Right. Um, So you have the big umbrella of of transgender and then below that you split into binary and non-binary. So of course under binary, you've got trans man and trans woman, and then non-binary, you have many, many things. Um, we have genderqueer, we have demisexual, genderfluid, bigender, agender, um, and more. And so I'm curious, Felicity, like you, you seem super supportive of this. Um, I'm, I'm always curious as to how trans men and trans women feel because originally this, this, it was a binary term and now it's turning into something much more. Um, so I'm just always curious, you know, what what everyone's reaction to that is. And you seem supportive of it, but I don't want to assume.
2: Yeah, uh, there's absolutely trans people out there um, that don't um, believe that there is non-binary as a category. Mm-hmm. Um, I cannot speak to their experience, why they think that. Yeah. Uh, especially having gone through such intense scrutiny of my own gender um mm-hmm. because i i vividly remember you know it was two years ago but i still remember this question of you know do i want to do i identify as a man do i identify as a woman they both kind of suck maybe i should be neither <laughs> um but they're both kind of <laughs> awesome so maybe i should pick one so um i there's this little bit of gender fluidity in my my brain that allows me to sort of look at things that way um but i have felt more comfortable identifying as a woman. So that's sort of where I sit. Yeah. Um, there's so many different categories of gender. I remember I got this pamphlet recently. I wish I had it on hand. I don't. It's an eight and a half by 11 pamphlet that somebody um, had put together uh, that had 30, 40, 50 different genders in it. Wow. Um, and it was, it was amazing. Um but as far as um, where did non-binary people seem to suddenly come from, it's much in the same way that, that Marty was talking about how when he came out in the scene, there weren't really tra- – like there, there were trans people. There have been trans people um, the whole time. We've always been there. And mm-hmm. just like that, non-binary people have always been there. And as trans people have uh, – binary trans people have gotten voices, so to have non-binary trans people – started to get the inkling of a voice and they really need, they need a bigger voice. Um, and, and so I, if you find a listener, hopefully that's non-binary, hopefully they'll come on and talk a little bit more about yes.
0: that. I, yes. I think
2: our next episode is going to be. Yep. Oh, I look forward to it. I'm yes. so excited.
0: Yes, yes, yes. Super. <laughs> no, that, that's our goal. You know, all, everyone, everybody. I, I, you know, to me, and I don't remember if I said this in the first episode, um, and it's just become very apparent to me that the world that I want to live in is one where we can all be ourselves, you know, save people that are just full of hate, right? Um, You know, pass on those people. Um, But I, you know, I want to live in a world where everyone and I don't like to use the word authentic anymore, because it's so incredibly overused, um, that I feel like, eh but where everyone can just be their, their authentic self um, with, with no judgment, prejudice. I That's the world that I want to live in and I hope that we get to see that world one day and, and that means that, you know, who, whoever you are and I think, what was it? When I was watching The Outcast, um, you know, at the end of The Outcast, Soren, who was the, the agent or character that identified as um, a woman, she, le- she makes a big speech at the end Oh, it's just so it's so powerful. It is. Um, it really is.
3: I am tired of lies. I am female. I was born that way. I have had those feelings, those longings all of my life. It is not unnatural. I am not sick because I feel this way. I do not need to be helped. I do not need to be cured. What I need and what all of those who are like me need is your understanding and your compassion. we have not injured you in any way and yet we are scorned and attacked and all because we are different. What we do is no different from what you do. We talk and laugh. We complain about work. And we wonder about growing old, we talk about our families, and we worry about the future. And we cry with each other when things seem hopeless. All of the loving things that you do with each other, that is what we do. And for that we are called misfits and deviants and criminals. What right do you have to punish us? What right do you have to change us? What makes you think you can dictate how people love each other?
0: For all that people want to say about the outcast and and where it succeeds and where it fails. I feel that 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 one speech
1: It makes a whole episode.
0: Yeah. It's absolutely does. It's powerful and and for me, um, you know, as a queer person, it's it it speaks for me. And I know it may not speak for all queer people. um, but at the end of the day, it's like we all love the same. Like yeah. we love like you do. <laughs>
2: Absolutely.
0: And everything in that is just, you know, I, I wanna live in, in the world where, you know, love is love and we're we're getting there, <laughs> hopefully. Um Yeah.
2: Um I think uh that 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 speech is such a powerful, queer speech, and it really is, and you can apply it if you're um queer, if you're gay, if you're lesbian, if you're bi, if you're pan you can apply it if you're trans you can apply it if you're um, any of a number of of categories that fall under that queer umbrella and it's so beautiful in that versatility Um, I think what's most interesting and I'm going to provide a little bit more context because Soren describes earlier in the episode uh, to Riker um, how their species came to be uh, non-binary
1: mm-hmm.
2: um, because that's essentially what they describe. They are a non-binary. They are described as androgynous, which mm-hmm. is the uh, the 90s word for, for non-binary, but that is what it is now as we call it non-binary. Um, she said that they used to have binary gender system. They used to have binary sexes like human beings, but they quote unquote evolved out of it, which suggests um, the same kind of evolution that Gene Roddenberry described for human beings. is not a physical evolution, but a social evolution. In this case, um, the Genai society has evolved into... Um, one that chooses not to see gender, which from a 90s feminist standpoint is a very powerful position. However, they use that powerful position instead of as a good thing for um, gender non-conforming individuals, they use it as a as a sort of bludgeon to say, this is what happens if we let non-conforming people go run wild because their society punishes you when you try to have a gender and soren although um she was born female and identifies female is absolutely a trans woman within the context of her Mm -hmm. society because her society's norm is non-binary and she identifies as female um, so the the eventual punishment, which is uh, conversion therapy, yeah, uh, that that they give to her is indicative of it, it's almost this episode could be interpreted almost as a look at what happens if you let SJWs go too far, and that's a very scary thing to have as as this sort of weird subtext on what is otherwise a very powerful and beautiful episode.
1: Speaking of the conversion therapy, there was there was another moment with Soren when she's talking to Riker in the shuttlecraft, I believe, when they're repairing it. And she kind of has this like coming out moment to him mm-hmm. where she describes one of her friends from school who identified as male and how they took him away.
3: I remember when I was very young, before I knew what I was, there was a rumor at my school that one of the students preferred a gender, in that case male. The children started making fun of him, and every day they were more cruel. They could tell he was afraid, and somehow that seemed to encourage them. One morning in class, he appeared bleeding and in ripped clothes. He said he had fallen down. And of course, the school authorities found out and took him away and gave him psychotactic treatments. When he came back, he stood in front of the whole school, and told us how happy he was now that he had been cured. After that, I realized how dangerous it was to be different. And once I got older and knew what I was, I was terrified. I have had to live with that fear ever since.
1: I thought that was another like big moment of the show. I thought the episode focused too much on conversion therapy. I didn't Yeah. It shouldn't have been. It shouldn't have been about that,
2: you know. Yeah. I agree. Um one of the the problems that I find when you have cis writers that are writing about trans issues um, and this, I, I can say this is true of the outcast. I can say this is true of the co In yeah. particular, this is one of the things that bugged me about one of the or- Orville's early episodes oh, yeah. um, was that um, cis people that do not specifically understand it. And I know that there are cis people that do because they teach gender and identity mm-hmm. um, topics. Um, cis people that don't understand it inevitably end up writing about something else. Like *Cogenitor* is really more about sex trafficking than it is about the third gender, right. yeah. and and *The Outcast*, like Marty pointed out, is more about conversion therapy than it is about androgynous people. Right. Um, yeah. And and that episode of the 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 Orville was more about several things that yeah. are you know off topic. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I find it really interesting that, you know, the outcast was written to be an allegory for homosexuality. Um, And I think now, and I've heard this from other people, is that it passes more as a trans episode than anything else. Um,
2: In time. Yeah, uh, absolutely.
0: And I, I think that, you know, in that way it, it stands up. Like I think it's still a powerful episode and I think that, those episodes with Sword and Riker in the shuttle, because there were two of them, um, and the first one is where they're talking about like the gender and and how gender came to be. And my my biggest thing with all of these episodes with the Outcast co I think the host um, is that they just use sex and gender interchangeably, mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. is a no no no, uh, and and so that that bothers me then and there. But I both of those scenes. I think we're very powerful and, and relatable to, yeah. to most people in the queer community. You know, there's discussion about, well, A, even though it's an androgynous society, all of the actors, all of the actors were women. And
1: Jonathan Frakes has famously said mm-hmm. in many, many conventions that he, he thought it was a mistake casting Soren as a, a woman actress. He felt it should have been a man portraying himself identifying as a woman.
0: Yep. And then you've got good old Rick Berman saying that having Riker engaged in passionate kisses with a male actor might have been a little unpalatable to viewers. Oh my.
2: I don't think he understood <laughs> Star Trek fans. He hasn't been reading the slash fiction that goes his way back. This <laughs> I <long>.
0: seriously, <laughs> seriously. Uh and you know, I Berman and Braga, you know, have, have and others, male writers in general. Uh, for Star Trek have received a lot of criticism uh, because of this this lack up until Star Trek discovery of true LGBTQ representation uh, and you know of as we were saying, the outcast winds up ending in conversion therapy, and what? that's not the ending that you know any of us <laughs> yeah wanted. I,
2: I think it's important to point out that the outcast in particular was written by Jerry Taylor, um, who's a female writer. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, and, and she became one of the producers, I think later on, Uh uh, on Voyager at least Voyager and DS nine. And it looks like it also says TNG here a little bit. Oh, it says writer and producer. So, but yeah, she, um, she was, uh, she wrote for star Trek for a long time. Yeah. Um, she tried, she was often, it looked like she was often tasked to write these episodes that were supposed to be a little bit more, um, edgy in terms of sexuality. Um, and I, I think that probably for her time she did what she thought was her due diligence. Right. Um, and it's, it's, this is one of those weird situations where it's easy for us to look back at the past and say, but couldn't couldn't they have done better?
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's something that, well, it's something that I have heard a lot is that really none of these episodes, uh, pre-discovery, Succeeded, yeah, uh, and and you know none of them accurately represent anyone from the LGBT, LGBT, LGBTQ community. There we go. But I I still think that they're they're valuable in their own right. And yeah, um, before I forget to mention this, so uh, I'm going to give a shout out to uh, the podcast Women at Work. They're over on the Roddenberry Network. They are one of the only Star Trek podcasts that I feel does a great job of providing queer representation in their their hosts and then talking about LGBTQ plus issues in their shows. And I went back and listened uh, to their recap of The Outcast. And I, I hate to pull content from their show, um, but I'm, I'm doing this simply out of appreciation. They do a great job. So please go listen to their Uh, recap of the outcast. But one of the things that came from their discussion of the episode, they reached out for listener feedback. And there was a cis male listener who said that because of the conversion therapy part of this episode, he realized that he had been wrong in judging and condemning queer people. Um, And it might have been specifically, you know, gay or lesbian people, I'm going to use queer because I don't remember specifically, but yeah. um, it took that, that, that dialogue around what happened, that discussion to really hit home for, for that one person. And I'm sorry, but if, if that episode changed one person from, from, from hating or disliking or not supporting the queer community to at least beginning to understand or regret that, then, then that's a win for me. And yeah. uh, that that stuff is important to talk about. And it's something that I really want to do with Queer Trek and, and with our perspectives is help explain how, even though like these, what, four or five episodes of Star Trek that have that are somewhat queer representative representative, even though they don't always succeed at what we want. Um, they are succeeding in, in some ways and the queer community is still finding positivity um, and finding representation there. Uh, so I think that's important to point out. And again, shout out to Women at Warp. Um, and I hope they don't mind that I just shared that from their podcast. I just thought it was worth sharing.
2: Um, yeah definitely relevant.
0: Do we have any other comments about the outcast since we,
1: well, since you brought up the someone who, who had seen the light as it were Mm -hmm. by watching that episode, you can even see that in the episode with, with Worf because in the beginning of the episode of the poker game, he's like, I don't understand it. I don't care to learn about it. Like whatever. But then he sees that his friend is like going through something and he's just like, Hey, I'm here for you. If you need me, like, I want to help. Like, what can I do?
2: You know. Worf tends to get used for for good things like that, Um, which is interesting because this character tends to have, like, one attitude, which is just stick in the mud. But (laughs) But but that was something I noticed in that episode. It's just he kind of came around by the end of the episode. So.
0: Yeah, I think he was definitely used, like, just to provide that perspective. Yeah. Because, like, when has Worf ever been sexist? Um. It, yeah, there's a, there's a patriarchy um, within the Klingon culture, but but I think somewhere previously, like Morph even talks about how much he respects strong Klingon women.
2: Yeah, uh, and I think that's that's interesting too because like the Klingon women are supposed to bite the men mm-hmm. that they find that they're interested in, and that's that's a big power move. That's not something that weak women do. And you you know the the, the Klingon Empire is is very much about strength and so i don't think that he thinks of klingon women as weak necessarily as much as he's seen this this frailty and i wouldn't wonder that that's um something that he learned on earth watching uh because i there's another episode where he talks about why he is so um restrained and it's because he accidentally hurt someone like playing soccer or something was yeah. like a kid yeah and uh and I think that's yeah, I think they wrote a book about that one too. Oh, they might. you'll have
0: to cover it on reading track. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> so yeah, I, Oh, wharf. I just, it was just weird. It was a weird thing. Um, but definitely again, I think that's just kind of where you, you see the writers <laughs> and shining through. And my thought, like when I, when I see, you know, the, if this, this episode is written by Jerry Taylor, um, I still wind up seeing these male perspectives and male influences. And I wonder if sometimes in the writing room, even, mm-hmm. uh, some of, some of these things get lost. I know that at one point Riker was supposed to be asking, um, Oh, nor the, the, like the hedge and I person, uh, how how is it that, that Soren has no choice about her sexual orientation? Uh and, and that got cut. I guess let's see, Noor was explaining to Riker that the Janai are by all measurements an enlightened race. And Riker asked, then how is it that Soren has no choice um being so enlightened at that point? Yeah. Uh would have been interesting to have she and Ron Barry weigh in on the interpretation here, I I think the only the final comment I have about this is after after Soren's speech, Nor goes back and is talking to Riker and and says, "You see, Commander, on this world, everyone wants to be normal." <sighs> <It's> so beautiful, <laughs> and I I just. And that's where
1: the whole episode kind of crumbles
2: yeah well i mean Riker at least comes back with she is she yeah. is normal yeah um yeah. which is it's just the right answer but that comes right after that big powerful speech mm-hmm. and um and that's really it, it's sort of ultimately playing into the trope of like the tragic queer person
1: yeah
2: um especially because she's soren is queer coded um she has to die or uh, the effective person, a character of Soren, the female has to die in order to be dramatic enough for the episode in order to get people to change their minds. They did the same thing to Dr. Colbert in discovery and it's infuriating. Um, you, You know, if you're a writer out there, you don't need to kill your queer characters. You don't need to let them live.
0: I'm like laughing and it's not, it's not a, it's not that kind yeah it's it's a pretty consistent Mm. trope um across all of the episodes
1: i've even noticed it in the novels a couple times
0: yeah yeah it came up in one of the discovery novels even Uh,
1: the Um, uh dane ward novel
0: yep yep and and you you talked to him about that um which was good but you know, moving at the host, which we may or may not talk about here. Uh, you know, at, at the end of the host, that's our first appearance of the trill, and Doctor Crusher basically falls in love with Odon, who is the the host for the trill, but she doesn't know. And Odon winds up in an accident and has to, have to find another host for the trill, and. So he's in Riker for a little while. Again, we Rikers, like the star of everything. Um, but by the end of it, they get a new host. That new host is a woman, and as we said earlier, at that point, um, or maybe not as as we said in in the, the pre discussion, that uh, you know Crusher, uh, she's she's not attracted to that woman. And again, there's this there's this tragic end because they can't be together even though there's a discussion and a confession that dr crusher loves odon loves the the personality not necessarily the physical body but they can't be together and then the same thing happens in rejoined um with dax and lenara khan again they can't be together and sure someone could argue that that's just a function of of episodic star trek and that even though ds9 was largely serialized we can't have those, you know, the continuity, have those characters come back, but it's, it's pretty much everywhere, even in Cogenitor, where at the end she commits suicide. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's extremely frustrating and it's definitely one place where Star Trek fails the queer community. D- despite the power of these episodes and the attempt at representation, uh, it's, it's, it's a very difficult thing, and that's something that I've struggled with trying to explain um, to to people not within the community of why and, and and why discovery was so important, and having that representation, and then why discovery was so heartbreaking yeah. when that happened. Uh, you know, it's well. There despite- is one.
2: There is one queer character in Star Trek that technically canonically survives, but only if you follow the Kelvin timeline, Sulu's uh, mm, yeah. husband never actually um, passes in the timeline so far. So let's keep our <sighs> fingers crossed. <laughs> we don't need that kind of stress.
0: It's, I will give you that there. We've got some, it's- We've got
2: 111
0: uh, One. One. <laughs> one. We've got one. We've got one. And that's a whole other- bucket yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hold their Pandora's box to open um, okay so I'm with cogenitor uh, I don't know what, what was your what are your thoughts on that episode since it's one that, that has come up before cogenitor is
2: an episode where uh, largely featuring the a plot is about uh, Charles Tucker the third trip um, discovering uh, his a, a this this ongoing in the inner workings of uh, a species that in order to reproduce requires a third uh person a co-genitor um the co-genitor is androgynous uh, 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 it is a non-binary person uh the co-genitors make up approximately three percent of the vis- uh i think they were called vis- yeah. Vizian. Vizian, of the Vizian population. Cogenitors are such a small percentage. Um, it is justified, uh, the, the culture justifies using them, um, in, as, uh, sex slaves to pass them around to families that wish to reproduce. And these, uh, co-genitors do literally nothing else. Yep. They're just there for copulation. Um, and so Trip gets in trouble when he tries to teach a cogenitor to read, and the cogenitor uh, names uh, themselves. They, for, they never identify specifically as a gender, although, um, again, the cishet characters in the show have difficulty naming uh, a non binary character. Uh, I think this is such a terrific failure in writing because for a long, long time, much longer than we've identified non-binary people, they and them have always been Mm -hmm. neutral terms for people who we didn't know the sex of. But characters in Star Trek pretend like that's not a thing that has ever been a thing. And um, so it's... So it's just from a writing standpoint that seems like such a major failure to me mm-hmm. that you have this you can't I mean anyway
0: uh, now that uh, comes up in it's in the outcast too where yeah. it's like they refer to them as an it and yeah. then, you know at least there's an attempt eventually I think Trip starts to refer to the co as a she Yeah. but like she never identifies as a she she never comes out and says I'm Correct. a woman uh, they just kind of oh well it looks like a woman, so it'll be a she. Right. It, which is just and, frustrating.
2: And even Archer points out that um, it is rude to call the Cogenitor an it like an, like it's an object. Mm-hmm. Um, but this more um, builds into um, the, the story they were trying to tell, which again gets back into, we've got this story about gender, but no, it's actually a story about something else.
1: Yeah, I called it as a story an equal rights story but it doesn't it's not a successful equal rights story
2: right yeah and and the question then is like who are these equal rights supposed to be for so who is who is the co-genitor coded to be um which is the important part of the philosophy of of the star trek episode mm-hmm. because there's certainly the philosophy the the philosophy question of do we have the right to interfere with these species when they uh, appear to be treating someone unethically and i'd have to say that in this particular case it was kind of ridiculous for archer to hold yeah. uh trip so responsible for pointing out that they've got this major societal flaw because if you have 3% of your population and i remember somebody did the math on this that it was a crazy large number of people, uh, a few million people at least not doing anything, yeah. uh, but sitting and eating and just sitting and sleeping and waiting to procreate. That is a massive amount of culture and production and just all the things that an individual sentient being can do. Lost. Yeah. Three, four, five Twelve million people—that's huge yeah. and massively inefficient, especially for people that are supposed to be as as efficient as the the Visians.
0: It really um, makes me question, even though they're not humans, their their mental health. Yeah, <laughs> right. I like. There's there's no discussion there. It's like this was to me, and I don't know that I pulled up notes for it um, or the wiki or anything. I thought I had, uh, but. It's like, it's an attempt to do something that very, very much, very much fails, as you said. And aside from, from these basic things, it's just like, these people would go, they'd go crazy. Like, just sitting in a room and barely interacting with other beings, like they're they would not be mentally healthy um especially and, you know, because I, it
1: was proven that they're just as intelligent as everyone right else around
0: them right yeah i just you know that gets you know that that's that's they're, not something that comes up we're gonna we're gonna make sure to talk about you know how not all species are defined by two sexes and yeah, yeah
2: you're absolutely right um in fact the co-genitor displays signs of um not being emotionally healthy mm-hmm. uh when um, trip tries to teach them how to read their first reaction was no i'm not allowed to read yeah. um and and so they they frequently um they're they're almost like a child yes in, in that they they know what's wrong and uh they even say it when trip brings them onto the the enterprise um trip says you know are you uh i think in fact um they ask uh, the co-genitor asks, "You know, will you get in trouble for me being here?" And he says, "They'll get angry, but I won't get in trouble." And the co-genitor says, "Well, I will get in trouble, but yeah. I don't want to leave." It's it, that's very much like what a five-year-old would say if they knew they were right. doing something wrong. Mm-hmm. And the another problem with that is that's also on trip side of things. That's really creepy uh, because that's that's grooming behavior for yeah. for um, for their power dynamic. Yeah, and no. there was absolutely sexual tension there, and I think they tried to distract from that by giving Reed this um, go nowhere. Yeah, C-plot.
0: yeah. I Whatever hated that. That was
2: <laughs> I hate so, that. So just so unnecessary. It's the same
1: thing as the Outcast. Like, had they spent a little more time developing the story, like you could have gotten gotten rid of the the C plot and the B plot in this in this episode, and and. Formed it into this this great episode, uh, but they didn't. They just it was. I mean, I hate to like trash a Star Trek episode, you know, on our yeah positive, well, I, positive, I positive podcast, but
2: it's you know it's, it's still, not it's a not good an
1: episode, episode that lends well to the to the community.
2: I think it's I think it's a a, a good episode, but it just failed it to, do good it's set out to do what it to.
1: Yes, it does. I it really like the moment where they had just watched the day the Earth stood still. Yes. and uh trip trip like explains why humans had a hard time like trusting things and like they they would fight against things they didn't understand like i thought that moment was really good i thought although unnecessary i really like the ending when when he gets scolded for for doing you know essentially violating another culture you want to see me captain I was just told that the Visian cogenitor died. What? How? Suicide trip. She killed herself. That can't be Why? It's my fault. I'm responsible. You're damn right you are. It's not just her. There's a child who won't be conceived because of this. At least not for a long while. It's time you learned to weigh the possible repercussions of your actions. You've always been impulsive. Maybe this will teach you a lesson. I understand. Do you? I'm not so sure you do. You knew you had no business interfering with those people. But you just couldn't let it alone. You thought you were doing the right thing. I might agree if this was Florida or Singapore.
0: But it's not, is it? We're in deep space and a person is dead.
1: A person who'd still be alive if we hadn't made first contact. I guess I haven't been very successful at getting through to you. If I had you would have fought a lot harder before doing what you did. You're not responsible. Dismissed. but then that brings up a larger question um, which both episodes don't address is that is it right to accept a cultural belief that's different from your own even if it feels fundamentally
2: wrong right and there's certainly like that is a huge anthropological question because there are things that we you know In our culture, largely don't accept like you know shrunken heads. For example, we don't Mm -hmm. accept that, and we don't accept it from other cultures either. (laughs) So we we encourage other cultures to sort of curtail this, no matter where it fits into their culture, because we believe that there's these ethics that supersede uh, the ones that say that you should just let let people let people be, which is then a double edged sword in and of itself right um, that gets used definitely against the queer community as was demonstrated in the outcast uh, because the, you know the, here were people that were convinced they were doing what was right for their people and um, whereas the I think I think the, the, the biggest failure in cogenitor was when Archer met with the uh, near the end when Archer met with the captain and the family, that had been given the co-genitor after the co-genitor had asked for co- asylum. Um, there was no reason why the family should have been there mm-hmm. because they would have been far too emotionally charged to mm-hmm. have a rational discussion because clearly the two captains were still amicable and they still wanted to have a fair discussion of it. Mm-hmm. But instead we just got the, the, the couple making accusations uh really clumsily written accusations, uh, oh, yeah. at Archer.
0: Yeah. We never, and I mean, we never get the science of how like why the coach editor is relevant to begin with, which is they try. And then Trip is like, no, I don't want to know. Um, I would have liked to have known just to maybe better understand everything. Yeah. But I think it's reflective. Like if you go look at the Star Trek wiki, um, uh, you know, the, the outcast and the host both have notes talking about LGBTQ representation or you know, homosexuality and representation. Cogenitor has nothing. Like cogenitor has no notes about that. It has no notes about gender, gender representation. And, uh, you know, obviously, what was this 90, 92, Two when Cogenitor came out? The yeah, Outcast oh, was
1: 92. Cogenitor okay. was almost 10 years later.
0: Oh, 10 years. Okay, so wow. That's even...
2: three. yeah.
0: So, okay, sure. At that point, we, we weren't talking about gender in ways that we are now. You right. know, they're not, not at this level anyway, not with this visibility. So I understand, especially with writers who, and I'm not going to... Assume I don't know the identities of all these writers. Um, yeah. I don't. I don't. I don't know them personally, but I. I think it's maybe safe to come to the assumption that uh, you know they. This was an idea they were playing around with without really knowing anything about it. They're like, let's just put a third gender in there and. Meanwhile, they're there we already, like when we talk about intersex people, two spirit people, like we already have people that don't conform to to binary to you know binary sex or binary gender. Right. So they didn't do any research, they didn't talk to any of those people, and they didn't really go anywhere with this. I think and I've not heard many people talk about this episode uh, in terms of sex trafficking. So I I really I I like that. I like that you brought that up because I do think that that's a different way to talk about this episode instead of an emphasis on sex and gender. You would think at this point in the future, again with they and them even having been yeah. around forever, that that this this would be a non-issue. This they would know, like
1: yeah. Especially to Paul because she's a Vulcan, and Vulcans are these super enlightened people. Which yeah, means like. In the whole episode shutting trip down when she should be the the one person on the ship who actually supports what he's he's trying to do.
0: T'Pol was the yeah. one that said, Why do you call it her? Right. And
2: and then Flox is also entirely unsupportive. Um Flox backs up to Paul, and Flox is another character who historically has been very open he's- to all of the weirdness. Even in the episode, they start him being open to anything that's out mm-hmm. of that that normativity he has yeah. three wives
0: um, yeah he's he's the one that says not all species are not all species are united by two sexes and then um i don't know if i saved the other quote but you know he's he's talking about we'll be open-minded and yeah the, you know and
2: <laughs> be open-minded but don't don't tell don't don't mess <laughs> <with them.
0: laughs> it's like the denobulums denobulins themselves are polyamorous and yeah as a like as a poly person, and it's it befuddles me that I haven't really gone back and paid a lot of attention uh, to to how his polyamory or polygamy was represented. Um,
2: I look forward to that episode of Treks.
0: <laughs> we will get there. I got to find other poly people to bring on to talk about it. Um, I know, like women at Warp, feel like uh, the the polyamory there, the polygamy was brought in more as a joke. Um, that it's, it's not something that's taken seriously or or used in a serious manner. And so when I go back and, and rewatch some of these episodes, I, am going to pay extra special attention because when I've watched enterprise in the past, I didn't identify as Polly, I didn't understand that aspect of who I am and, and now I do. So it's, it's something that I look forward to, to analyzing and talking about in the future. Yeah. Uh, I
2: think um, I think a lot of the things um, that are covered in this way, um, especially what I see is um, a lot of it comes from a misunderstanding of where feminism actually was in the 90s and early 2000s uh, and there there's this honest attempt because this is where the social future is at as far as they can tell but it's almost like if someone just went on a Tumblr blog and read like one specific Tumblr blog and Mm -hmm. then, you know, went, okay, I now understand SJWs. I can represent them accurately on a television show or something. (laughs) Um, It's just, it's, it's not, it's, it's half the, it's half the work and it's not uh, supported by any academics or actual experience.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think the best way to put it is that co is a hot mess. <laughs>
1: uh, Absolutely.
0: It really is. And I think that a lot of people struggle with it. I, you know, again, it, it doesn't re- it attempts to discuss gender. It fails. Uh, it,
2: and again, we have a woman who is cast as uh, mm-hmm. an androgynous person because yeah. culturally we're taught that to be androgynous, you must appear more, you must be uh, a femme person that presents masculine. You can't mm-hmm. be a masculine person that presents feminine because either that's a trans woman or a drag queen.
1: Yeah,
2: And it's not the other way around. And that's that totally closes off this whole... Population of, of non binary people who were assigned male at birth or who simply um, may have developed with more testosterone than, than uh, estrogen. Um, because there's no doubt that the hormones influence the way that our bodies shape. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but that's not necessarily the way our gender shapes.
0: I think that, you know, moving towards the future, since we've got discovery, we're getting more discovery, we're getting a Picard series. We're getting more Star Trek. It would be great if we do explore subjects of gender uh, and stuff like that to, like, have people that are that actually identify as non-binary um, or, or a trans woman. Like, again, we fall into – what was it, the movie that, like, Scarlett Johansson was going to play a trans oh, woman yeah. or something – And you can't have, it's like, you can't put, Trans man.
2: just like movie had all kinds of problems with it in general.
0: Yeah. Uh, now that, you know, and still, you know, as far as how many trans actors get cast in trans roles, like that's a whole other episode. Um, but people are
2: out. I'd love to see Laverne Cox on Star Trek.
0: Yes. Yes. Absolutely. Like I hope that we get you know real actors playing though not real actors That's, that sound right. I hope that we get actors representing never okay, how, how do I better say that that doesn't sound to split.
1: You hope we get actors who can accurately represent
2: the role that they are playing. Yes. Um, through life experience, and not right, just exactly. uh, yes. yeah, not just interpret it, interpretation of life. It
1: brings up a, a, a just a thought about Discovery because Tig Notaro is going to be in season two, so I wonder if if she if she's going to be playing a
2: lesbian character. I hope so. I, I hope know. so too. Um, yeah, I think I think the thing that I would like to see out of Discovery, if they do decide to cover um, gender as a topic at all. Um, I, I don't want the um gender nonconforming gender nonconforming person to be an alien. Yeah,
0: I understand right.
2: the use of them being an alien from the perspective, yeah. but there's if you're gonna use an alien, just code it and it'll be fine. But they, they can absolutely have a transgender person on yeah. in Starfleet. Yeah. In Starfleet. Yeah. And and the the I love that there is there's always this person that gets pointed to in like the first or second episode of Star Trek, the next generation, someone with a masculine frame walking around in a scant. And it's just one of the background characters that they're always pointed to is like, Oh look, there's a trans person in Star Trek. (laughs)
0: Uh...
2: Which isn't to say that you have to have a masculine frame to be a trans person. No, right. Not at all.
0: So here's my, my take on that, you know, that, that character, my understanding was Jean just wanted representation of everyone can wear a scant. Uh, you know, again, we're, we're in the future where, where it, it, none of it matters. Um, however, if someone does see that character and you know, if there's a trans man that identifies with that character as a trans man, then I think that's great. Um, and, hey, that actor had great legs. <laughs> he did. You know, I, 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 I think that that is important. And that, again, is part of why we're doing this podcast is because sometimes people find representation in places that others don't. And I think that that is valid. Um, and that, you know, just like with, with people on the spectrum, seeing Tilly as also being on the spectrum um, or neuroatypical. I think that is valid and that's powerful. That's part of why we love Star Trek. Okay. Do we have any, any other topics or final thoughts?
2: When there's a question, whenever you question uh, what someone's gender is, there's two ways that you can handle it that are polite. You can either ask politely, which is, um, also helpful if you introduce yourself with your own pronouns Mm
3: -hmm.
2: um i would say you know nice to meet you my name is felicity my pronouns are she her Mm -hmm. uh and that usually invites someone to offer their pronouns as well
0: yeah
2: um or you can just be quiet about it and wonder if you if you can survive that level of curiosity um if it's even relevant to you to know what their gender is. And more often than not, this is framed by uh, men who don't consider trans women viable candidates for sex. Mm. And so they're trying to determine if a trans woman is a viable candidate for sex. Yeah. Which is an awful reason to need to know somebody's gender.
0: I just threw up in my mouth a little, I think. That's that's why we're talking about this stuff. Okay, Marty, any any thoughts from you? I mean, I just hope that
1: one day we get the everybody gets the representation that that they de- deserve in Star Trek. You know, whether whether it be like a whole storyline or just just a character who has like one scene. I mean, a- anything at this point would be better than what we've gotten so far. Yeah. Um, so.
0: Yeah, Yeah. we need some some positive, happy yeah. endings for the queer folk in <laughs> <Okay>. Star Trek. <laughs> and I mean, and I think if if Discovery
1: ever gets like back to kind of these maybe one off episodes in between the larger storyline, like you know Enterprise season three did, then maybe we can get get these kind of stories told
2: there's room for that um i think that uh magic to make the sanest man go mad is a good example of a, a right. standalone story within yeah, the greater within the context yeah yeah,
1: yeah.
0: And, and i, I have, think they're working towards
1: that too i think they've, they've said they're trying to work towards that so
0: yeah yeah and i do have hope um i to to me the way that discovery written the things that they've discussed the allegories they've included are progressive uh, and the, you know, we, we do have minority representation. We have woman rep- representation. We have LGBTQ representation. Uh, there was a character who was in a wheelchair yeah, uh, and, yeah. and there was more than just David to Colbert. There is, there were two women dancing together yeah. that looked very intimate in the background. And I think it was in uh, magic to make the same yeah. as mad. Yes. Uh, so I feel hopeful that we will get that, that kind of representation. Um, I'm curious to see what happens with Tignataro's character. I forget. I know her name is like Jet or like that was her nickname. I can't remember what her full character name was or will be. Uh, but, but I do have hope, and again, you know, this will not be the first time that we talk about the four or five episodes of Star Trek with queer representation. Uh, so, you know, we, we don't want to be completely repetitive. But again, you know, everyone processes these episodes differently. Everyone, it, even as you said, Felicity, like with, with Janeway, you can find Janeway uh, in instances where you think, you know, she may be a trans woman. And we want to hear it. We want to talk about that. Like I want to hear all those perspectives. Everyone interprets Star Trek in different ways. And, and it's, as far as I know, hasn't been done from, from a queer perspective. Uh, So that's something that I look forward to in the future for sure. Um, And, and we welcome feedback on this episode. Uh, You know, I said at the top of the show, all the ways to find us. So please send us a note, send us a tweet, let us know what you think. Um, and in the meantime, I, I guess what you
1: want us to talk about too. Yes.
0: Yes. Uh, we have more episodes in the works, uh, but we're still, still accepting submissions all the time. We, we do want to remain a monthly, uh, podcast. Uh, so that means there's a bit of a waiting list, but, but we will, we will make time for everyone. It's that we're not going away. So, uh, I guess, thank you, Felicity, for for joining us and, and adding your voice to Career Trek. Um, where can people find you should they want to continue the conversation or just be your friend because you're awesome?
2: <laughs> you can find me on Twitter at RadMissFliss. Uh, that's F L I S S. Um, Yay! And I will be there um, just doing Twitter stuff. <laughs>
0: <laughs> All right, and Marty, where can we find you?
2: Uh you can find
1: me on Twitter at Time Travel Marty. Um Heather.
0: I am also on the Twitters at L L A which is L-L-A-P-A-W-S-P-E-R. We are at Queer Trek Pod. We are queertrek.thetricordertransmissions.com dot the and find us on Patreon, patreon.com slash the Tricorder Transmissions. We will be back sooner rather than later, in a month.
1: We We will.
0: So I forget who gave us the suggestion on how to close the show. And I'm sorry, and I will make sure to find your name for but our... We, but we
1: did find it. Yes. And I'm excited about it.
0: So so we know how to close the show now. And that is by saying live, love, and prosper. Thank you so much. I will credit you next episode. I promise we love you all and we will see you soon.